electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, a little more than 24 hours away from one of the, the most consequential Fed decisions in decades. We discuss and debate all that's at stake for your money with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, with me here on set, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and Steve Leisman, of course, is also with us. There he is, getting ahead of the Fed. Let's check the markets. Uh, we do have the NASDAQ positive, just shy of one half of 1%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down by 139. And the S&P in that bear market territory, 343, the, the yield on the 10-year note. Uh, Josh Brown, 75 basis points. To 100. New, new ball game. To 100. I know, but let's just say what they, we think they're going to do now. I know you want them to do I more. Think they're do, I they think were going to do 50. Now, they, now it's going to be 75. It's a non-zero, non-zero chance. Non-zero chance of 100 basis points. Think about, think about how quickly that would shift the narrative. Um, the Fed has gone so long being surprised by inflation uh, and having the market interpret the Fed as being consistently surprised or behind the curve or however you want to phrase it. Do 100 basis points. Now, the market is pricing in roughly a 10 percent chance of that. I, I would bet the chance is higher. And if they do it unanimously, I think it's a very big deal. I think it immediately shifts the narrative. OK, they're serious. They're looking to go faster, get ahead of this. They're not afraid of potentially causing a recession if that's what it takes. That restoration of credibility, if you read Bernanke's uh, op-ed today, that restoration of credibility really in the end is the only tool they have. So I I would not be shocked. uh, And and part of that signaling and dropping hints to reporters maybe is an effort to surprise the market back rather than continually look surprised. Let's go to our whisperer, uh, Leisman. What do you make of that, Steve? 75 seems now like it's the new kid in town. Uh, what about 100? I, I don't think 100 is going to happen, but uh, hey, I was, uh, I've been surprised before. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that 75 now is very likely. Uh, it's a shift for the Fed. Uh, the Fed had been uh, talking about 50. You remember that uh, uh, Powell said uh, at the last meeting that. 75 was not being actively considered. Well, Mm -hmm. they're trying to to both get ahead. It's not really get ahead, Josh. It's really bring forward. And maybe those are slightly different semantic things. Yeah, but but it's not really the Fed is not trying to catch up with the funds rate. It's trying to get the market rates catch up with the bond place market. where they restrain catch up demand. Exactly. Exactly. It is trying to catch up with the Treasury. You guys are. If I could, if I could just finish the sentence for a second Sorry. here. What, what the issue is, it doesn't really have to do that because those rates that you see in the market right now are real rates affecting the economy in the sense that the mortgage rate is what the mortgage rate is. Um, the Fed doesn't necessarily have to catch up with that 
in any particular amount of time. As long as that rate remains there, it restrains growth. So what you're asking or what you seem to be asking for, Josh, is not so much that the Fed catch up because that's not really all that relevant. What you want to know is whether or not the Fed needs to go, needs to push those rates higher than they are right now. Do you want a 6% funds rate and how the Fed would engineer that? Do you want a 10-year right now that's at 4% and how the Fed might engineer that? Just to be clear, if you look at the outlook for rates right now, they have dramatically shifted up the outlook for the Fed funds rate itself. They're now looking for a 4% or 4.08% funds rate for a peak terminal rate in May of 2023. <clears throat> I could tell you that number was 3% for August of 2023 back uh, about, about a month ago. By the way, on 513, I was just checking when I started talking about the possibility of a 4 or 5% funds rate. Let me ask you this, Steve, um, how people should think about this pivot. It's a pivot. Is the Fed being data dependent with this pivot because the CPI was much worse than expected, so they pivot because they're data dependent. Now they do 75 instead of 50. Um, Are they panicking because they have no control over inflation at this point and they know it and the bond market has been screaming at them to get more aggressive? Or, and maybe it's all the above, you tell me, do they continue to misread inflation? Let me finish. Or do they continue to misread inflation so badly that this is the product of that. And I I ask you that in the context of, I don't know, in the last 10 days, Brainerd, Mester, Bostic, I think, uh, others said 50. So they keep being surprised by these inflation reads, and now they're being forced to react. What are we supposed to, as investors, make of it? Let me uh, let me go back real quickly to, to my comment on Josh, which, which I, I, I think maybe I was a little bit uncharitable. I think one one thing that has to happen is is the Fed has to catch up in terms of credibility. And I think that's what you're getting at. And the credibility is not necessarily so much in the rate as in its approach to inflation and willingness to do what needs to be done. Um, and I think that's part of the pivot here where it may be. You remember when um, I never forget this, when Tom Hanks said, Uh, In Apollo 13, we just lost the moon when he got those instructions from Houston. Well, we may have just lost the soft landing, would be one way to say it, is that Powell has now come to the conclusion that he needs to sacrifice uh, the soft landing in return for the credibility of of the Fed fighting inflation. And that is something that will help. I'm not sure that the market thinks the Fed is not credible here, but this is certainly something if it does 75 tomorrow. And guys, I got one full screen here I want to show you, which I need to explain which is the, uh, uh, the, the outlook for rate hikes, the way the market is priced for the rest of the year. There's two, se- no, sorry, not that one, guys. It's the other one. Uh, 275s baked in for mm-hmm. June and July. And then there's also 250s baked in and a 25. So that's adding 275 basis points. I think that's credible. And I think that may be the catch-up. It may or may not be the catch-up that Josh is looking for in terms of the Fed recouping its inflation credibility. Steve, so, why, why nibble? On. Why nibble, though, if that's, if that's where we're going? If, if, if we're going to eat it, why nibble? Because, well, there, there, there's a reason. Because you need the Treasury market to function. And I don't know, Josh, maybe it functions just fine with those kind of with, with bigger and, and, and better and better rate hikes. But I think you've got to have some concern that the risk-free, most important market in the world clears 
with much stronger rate hikes than that. I don't I mean, know. And the you moves, may be right. The, the moves yesterday in the Treasury market after the, the journal headline uh, were just astonishing to see yeah. moves that are just not supposed to happen. I was going to say, and it's true also, you, know, you don't see every day, but it's not supposed to happen that way. And, and that's important to keep your, your, your eye on, too. Steve Weiss, 75 basis points, 2 o'clock tomorrow. How does the market react? Uh, look, uh, I, I don't know how the market reacts tomorrow. Maybe it's a relief rally on the news, but you're going to sell it. We're, we're in a bear market. You've had free money for almost 15 years. Rates peaked within that period of time at 2%. So the Federal Reserve rate. So, so free money. And guess what? You've had negative interest rates for most of the world. That doesn't come off in six months or in a year. So what I just don't understand is why the bulls are so still bulled up. Because if you're going to be early, you're still going to be wrong. Look, I'd rather show up for dinner reservation and miss the appetizer than show up a week ahead of time and wait outside the restaurant. And that's what may sound ridiculous, but that's what you're doing. So, look, you've got a lot of excesses that still have to come off. You've got no capitulation so far. So whether it's this is a great conversation you guys are having, but it means nothing in terms of what my investment (coughs) outlook is. If the Fed goes 100 basis points, who cares? I'm not looking at their credibility. What I'm looking at is the impact of global tightening on the global economy and specifically in the U.S. and inflation. So, yes, inflation will come down to the extent the Fed can control it, but there'll be elements it can't control. So you but must that be guy a, is cash. You must the be 100% is behind in cash you, mu- you must be 100% in cash. No, I actually, I, none I, of it matters. Well, you know, actually, Scott, I mean, I don't know if that's a serious question or not, but it I'm is a serious question. It so, is a serious question. I don't know why you're getting all worked up about it. What, what's the advice for the investor who's watching the conversation? I'm not worked if up you, about if it you at think, all. If you think that the conversation about what the Fed does is irrelevant to the market, what is relevant? Are you all in cash? No, and I'm if not, not saying why? what the... Uh, I'm not saying what the Fed does is irrelevant to the market overall. I'm saying what the Fed does tomorrow is irrelevant to my strategy, to how I'm looking at the market. Of course, every move the Fed makes is relevant when they're tightening. By the same token, it's relevant when they're easing. So, look, when the print came out on Friday Friday morning, I immediately got net short. Futures, Dow futures were down 200 as a proxy. I pressed short. I pressed it again. I covered most of the short going into the close, but kept short, net short over the weekend. I'm net short again, okay, because if the market trades up, great. So what? It's going to come back down. You're going to see earnings really collapse. That's the bottom line. So anybody can talk about what they want in terms of what the P.E. is today. It doesn't matter because you don't know the math. You don't know what the inputs are. So you're going to see corporations continue to cut. You're going to see buybacks dry up. You're going to see more layoffs. It's not a great situation. Obviously, so it's not. Most obviously not. Cooperman no. on the network today said you could go 40 percent down on the S&P from from the peak in January. Is, does that make sense to you? Is that what you're looking for? Also, I'm trying to get a gauge on where you think this all is, is going. Yes. I'm not trying to pick an argument well, with you. Here, I just want, I don't think I want your view right, on right, where right. you think this is all going. No, no, it's good questions. Right. I think it's going lower. So I don't think valuations matter at this point. I don't think fundamentals matter at this point. All that matters is if you've got a tightening credit cycle. 
and you're going to see those excesses come out. So everybody's gotten long Bitcoin. I mean, when Bitcoin trades to zero, I'll start investing in the market. Okay, because that's just a complete fraud in my view. I've been consistent on that and I'm still going to be consistent on it. There's no value. The store of value, give me a break. You tweeted about it. Where's the store of value? Where's the utility of that? It's nothing. It's purely a sign of excesses in the economy and free cash where people just didn't know what to do with it. So when okay. that happens, that's when I'll get hey, Scott, where it's going. It's going down. I don't think I can the point right near where it ends. Go ahead, Steve. Can I weigh in with a very small point, which yeah. is that th this is the first time when I see the funds rate, guys, that first chart that, I, that you put up before, when I see the funds rate priced at 4%, it's the first time I've seen the market be realistic about a potential, you know, moderate worst case scenario here. So I, I don't know how much stocks have incorporated that, but really stocks up until this point were trading on a pipe dream. It's kind of in the journal editorial today of, hey, a couple hikes and we're done with inflation and we're off to the races. So I don't know if, you know, maybe, it's, maybe it is 40%, but I will say at this point, if what I'm seeing on the screen priced in the Fed Fund's futures market is priced in the stock market, then we've come a long way to accepting some of the realities that may be coming our way from the Federal Reserve in a way that we had not prior to this, these kind of numbers. Well, I mean, you know. But you, it's not. The, it's the not. market, Steve, to some respects, and Brent, I, I want I you. I don't call bottoms. I don't, I, yeah, I don't call bottoms. I just want to point that out, that this priced in over here, and if it's priced in over there, we may have digested an awful lot of the news that's coming our way from the Fed. Yeah, no doubt. But I mean, the Fed. Steve, what I would the, say to counter that. Sorry, Scott. Sorry. Okay. okay. Bryn, the Fed's a powerful so, being, yeah. right? When it talks, right? As Bernanke, who said 90% of Fed policy is, or making Fed policy is through, you know, talking, um, the market listens. I mean, the, the market's been listening to the soft ish landing, right? Trying to give Powell the benefit of the doubt, wanting to believe. That's the key, wanting to believe that they could pull this off. And maybe what Steve is suggesting is the, the, it, the first real admission by the market that it probably can't. I think Steve was spot on when he said this was about credibility of the Fed and, and, the, and the Fed needing to gain some credibility from the market. I think for investors out there, you know, the stock market, the S&P since January 3rd has lost over $9 trillion. And what, the Fed has barely started QT. And what if we had two rate hikes? And so talk about, Bernanke was spot on. The market has totally played out this, this book that the Fed is now behind. And I think that investors really need to pay attention to the bond market. The Fed has never owned 30% of the mortgage-backed security market. You're having massive, like, no-bid-ass spreads yesterday. You have mortgage rates over 6%. And so you have really, really bad things happening, actually, in, like, the bid-ass functionality. And you're also having, like, four and five standard deviation events in the two-year and the 10-year. And so I think that the Fed will, will well, I would say the Fed's going to continue to be judicious is the Fed will continue to raise rates until something breaks in the bond market. Mm -hmm. And I just think when you see already with mortgages that they own 30%, I would call them the unnatural buyer. And like, remember, I guess it was in 2020 when SoftBank did that experiment where they were like doing all those options and the options market were going crazy and no one knew what was happening. 
Well, that's what happened in the mortgage market, and now the Fed has stepped back. And so I really think that the equities are going to be purely the equities are going to be priced off the bond market, and you don't want the bond market to continue to have four and five standard deviation events. So, so I think as an investor, please watch that closely. Jim Labenthal, that brings me to you, okay? I got you back. <laughs> I guess I would say to you, <laughs> in light of everything that we see with our own eyes, I don't understand how you can have a diametrically different view of how the world looks. You're done? I think you made the point. Get it. I think you made the point. Well, what's your answer? Yeah, well, let's just wait and make sure you're done. Go ahead. Look, um, I made him wait 15, 16 minutes. That's what happens. We're dealing (laughs) with the aftermath of the pandemic and the shutdown, okay? And there's a short-term aftermath and there's a long-term aftermath. The short-term aftermath is what we're dealing with right now. Supply chains have broken down. There was too much stimulus given, which was the right mistake to make, by the way, but we're dealing with it. There's a short-term issue to be dealt with. And frankly, by the end of this year, the Fed is likely to have done its heavy lifting. I hope they do go 100 basis points tomorrow. And if they don't, I hope they go 75 and 75 and another 50 and get it done. Because the long-term aftermath, which, Scott, is the answer to your question that you keep asking me, and I'm really trying to make this point clear now. The long-term aftermath is because of China COVID shutdowns, because of Russian belligerence, okay? We, and it's not just the U.S., it's Europe as well, are no longer in the globalization mode. I don't care about the moral or intellectual reasons for it. It's just a factual matter that supply chains are being rebuilt around the world. And when you get into 2023, and beyond into 2024 and 25, those forces are going to be very powerful. That's why, even though I took down my estimates for this year's earnings, Barely. I did not take down. Barely. Slow down. Let me just finish. Okay. Well, I'm just making sure uh, yeah, there's but, context but, but to what you're saying. But don't miss the point. I'm not taking down 2023 earnings. I don't think we should take down 2023 earnings. If I saw Intel delaying plans to open that semiconductor plant in Ohio, if I saw Ford or GM in any way pulling back on CapEx, which they are not, then I might change my tune. But this long-term aftermath of the pandemic in which supply chains are going to be reoriented around the world is going to be a powerful economic force. And that's why I'm bullish. So we got to get through this. And by the way, obviously, at this point in time, it's easy for me to say I was surprised by CPI. I was surprised by how low this went. So were a lot of people. But I'm not changing the tune because I don't see the evidence that supply chains are going to stay in Russia, are going to stay in China. I just don't see any evidence of that. But you've made repeatedly the argument. I mean, I know I keep asking you these questions because I have no choice. The market keeps... going in a direction that's further and further away from you. It leads me back to you as a result of that. Great. You you haven't taken your earnings down. Your price target on the S&P is still like 48.46 or something like that. What is it? 48.96. 48.96. That's 50 more points. for you to say this with less derision in your tone. The The facts speak for themselves, and I'm being very clear in what I'm saying. That, yes, we are going through a short-term issue here, but when you get to 2023 and these forces of supply chain, look, think about what goes on. Isn't it only short-term if the Fed can actually pull it off? It it feels like it's like what Steve was saying. It's this realization that maybe the Fed can't pull it off. The market's trying to come to grips with that, and maybe it's finally having that 
conversation with itself. Scott, I'm not getting saying there. that I know the future with 100 percent. And obviously, clarity. nor do I. OK, I'm simply saying what my thesis is, what my belief is. I can't say that it's definitely going to happen. Certainly things could get worse in a lot of different areas. But to the point of what am I looking at? Because that's your question. Why am I where I am and what am I looking at? It is these factories that are being built, not just all over the U.S., it's going on in Europe, too. Europe is seeing the same thing. They're building EV plants, EV battery plants, semiconductor plants. By the way, Department of Defense in the last couple of days just announced that they're going to do a new mine. I think the Australian company, but they're doing it here in the U.S. I think the company is Linus. I might have that name wrong. But the point being is that we're done getting our rare earth elements from China. These are powerful forces. And, yeah, I got to deal with your derision and other people's derision right now. I don't understand why you characterize it as derision. I mean, if you don't like to have the conversation, then I, I mean, that, having that's the not my problem. I don't understand I'm, what the issue is. You keep saying how bullish you are yeah. amid signs that suggest that you shouldn't be. OK. And I so, keep asking you about it because each day things get incrementally different, what which forces every, me to come back to what you. What happens is the market goes down. And at the end of the day, I'm in stocks with real cash flows, real earnings. I understand their valuations. I'm not scared of Qualcomm being where it is. I'm not scared of Cleveland Cliffs being where it is. I do my homework. I know where fixed contracts are. I know where their cash flows are coming from. I know that they have enough cash to buy back shares at these prices. So I'm not thrown by the short term. I'm not. Let's do this. Hold on, Josh. Hold on. Do, Do me a favor. Sorry. Let's take a quick break. We will continue this conversation on the other side. Leesman, I want you to stay, too, uh, if you can. If you have to bounce, I appreciate you being here. If not, stick. We're right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we are back uh, with the gang, which includes uh, Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. He's uh, already down in D.C., ahead of uh, this big decision in the press nope. conference tomorrow. So Yardeni, Steve, and maybe you're not in D.C., whatever, but you're going there. Uh, Yardeni, yesterday with me, that's how we do it, uh, said 75, 75, 75. That, that's what, what he thinks is going to happen. Kramer said we need 75 and we need the Fed to dump bonds at two times their current amount. What is the likelihood, do you think, Steve, that we do get 75 and then a more accelerated pace of runoff? That, that's a tool that he can use without going to 100. Yeah, I, I don't. 
Look, I can take him at his word. He 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 was he's shown that he will change what he wants to do, but to this point, what Powell has said is he does not want to adjust the runoff uh, by the incoming data, not make it a flexible part of the policy outlook. He may yet change his mind and do that. I know that he still has sort of lingering uh, uh, concerns or, or kind of like a post-traumatic um, uh, runoff disorder, I guess is the best way to put it, from the last time he tried this in 2019. Um, and so he doesn't want to see another uh, a taper tantrum or seizure of the bond market. So and I also think they put in a pretty aggressive runoff schedule here. Um, maybe they decide to do it faster, but I know that there's some concern. I would think that you're much more likely to get bigger uh, uh, rate hikes than you are to get an adjustment to the to the QT. I'm mm. not saying that's not a smart move to do. I, again, I have concerns and always, Scott, the, the thing I hate doing, and I was, I was in a panel the other day, a, a, a kind of informational uh, meeting, of guys about some of the inner workings of the financial system. And I happened to remark when I was asking a question, I said, guys, if I'm talking about this on TV, we're all in big trouble. I do not want to be in a position of talking about the generalized collateral repo rate, uh, auction rate securities, and that kind of fun stuff. Um, so, and, I, and I know Powell doesn't want that to be an issue either. Yeah. So, Bryn, let me ask you a, qu a question this way. Um, it's easy to pick at Jim's perspective and say, well, how can that be right? He's somewhat on an island in a, a sea of negativity, and that's fine. What if he's right? What if everything's too negative? Yeah, well, so, what if yeah. the stock market is going to think, come back mm -hmm. in the second half? What if Fundstrat's Mark Newton is right? What if Marco Kalanovic is right, and that stocks are going to get all of their losses back and finish maybe flat for the year, and that everything Jim said is right? There's just so much negativity around that it's easy to be colored by it. So I think as investors, when you learn how to drive, you know, we all look right in front of us. We look right in front of us. And then as you get better at driving, you look further out on the horizon line. And investing is no different. And right now, if you're just investing on the present, I feel really confident we're all going to get it wrong if we're just looking at today and extrapolating that as the future. You have to go forward and have a lens that's different than today. And so I think that we're somewhat focused on the wrong things in terms of the Fed, because first of all, the mortgage-backed security is, is so important to the economy. It's already in shambles, and I don't think the Fed has sold a dollar of mortgages, okay? And so the, to increase the runoff of treasuries and mortgages, I feel really confident something would break. And then secondarily, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a, um, a midterm cycle, an election year. So many things happen. And if you look at all the history of data going back you know, to the 50s, the second year is the worst. And then you definitely have a year after that are some of the best years. And then finally, and once again, this is looking out. I think that as many rate hikes as we get, Within the following 12 months, we will take most of them back because either we will be in a recession or the economy's slowing. And then finally, is that currently, and no one's talking about this, but it's very important, if we actually got to a Fed funds of four, and that was across the interest, the, across the Treasury curve, and we kept our, our 21 trillion um, GDP, and we, re, re, we, we matured all of our debt and, and, re, and, and recycled it, are actually our interest expense, Scott, would be more than national defense and up there with Social Security. 
that's not going to happen. And so I, I think that I don't see, I, I see what Jim's saying. I'm much more open to say six months from now is going to be very different. And so I think that's where we have to listen to Jim, listen to Tom Lee, Brian Belsky, Mark Newton, and Kalanovic, and say there is, an, there is a scenario that does not look like today. Mm -hmm. I mean, Josh, Oracle didn't say the world's ending. There are companies that are reporting their earnings that have not been bad. Their outlooks have not been bad. Agree. Maybe Jim's right. Well, today that happens to be just one of those days where the damage has been so substantial uh, over the last week that companies can have good news and the share prices actually go up and stay up. So that's nice to see. Uh, it's exceedingly rare this year. So I'm in FedEx. I know we're going to talk about that later. Um, good news, the stock miraculously is still up at 1230. Um, that is not consistent, though, with what we've seen this year. We've seen consistently companies have, quote unquote, good earnings, even guide higher and have their share prices sell off. That's actually the preeminent feature of, of the stock market this year. And why is that? Because we've got to do more work to the downside in the multiple just to, just to accommodate normalized interest rate policy. So we started the year 21 and a half-ish forward earnings per share multiple. We've lost about a quarter of that. Right now, about 15 and a half. I don't know where that has to bottom out, but the point that Steve Weiss made early uh, in the show was really important, which is we don't know the E. And right now, you could say they're delusional, or you can say, hey, they don't want to move that quickly. But right now, the E is still rising in analyst estimates for the second half of this year. And I really feel that that is going to be the fulcrum that decides whether Jim Labenthal looks really smart in December or Steve Weiss looks really smart in December. And the jury's still out. Nobody can definitively tell you if profit margins are going to hold up, if there's going to be enough revenue growth to support earnings growth. But right now, the street thinks we're going to have 8%, 9% earnings growth. That may turn out to be a massive pipe dream, given how high oil prices are, given how tight the labor market still is, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe it isn't. And unfortunately, I can't skip to the end and give you that answer today. We're 15% below the 200-day moving average on the S&P. Uh, historically, volatility is significantly higher on a daily basis so long as we're below there. So while we wait for the answer, does earnings, do earnings fall apart or not? Obviously, the smart move is maybe risk missing the appetizer, to Steve's point. Mm -hmm. Not being the first person at the table to show up. You get your head cut off that way. Steve Leisman, i got to give you the last word and do it quickly. Um, I thought last Fed meeting was really important. But, man, this one has just taken on uh, so much more meaning, given that read on the CPI and what we think may happen tomorrow, which is a change and a pivot, as we said. Yeah, and, and not, not even for the 75, which obviously will be historic and important, but it's the guidance. It's, uh, is there another 75 in the works? Uh, and, and how high are we going here? Will Powell be able to give us some guidance down the road? Is 4% a good number? Is 5% a possibility? Um, we are, I think, in a zone right now where it's, it's meeting to meeting, maybe week to week. And I guess this week we learned it's even day to day when it comes to the setting of Fed policy. And the question is, does Powell have a way of stepping back and putting some guardrails around the process, giving the market some certainty upon which to price. Because right now, I think you come in in the bond market in the morning and you have to expect you're going to lose money that day. And that is not a recipe for liquid markets. It's not a recipe for calm. And it's also a recipe for maybe some panic that you have to be careful about. You're here, um, um, uh, ratcheting up. Yeah. Your last question uh, moved the market. Uh, the answer did. Uh, no pressure. 
this time. We'll see you tomorrow. That's Steve Leisman joining <laughs> Just us. Just do my and, job. Uh, That's all I do. Whether he's in D.C. or not at Thanks. the very moment, I promise you he will be. Thanks, Steve. I always appreciate your time on our show. Coming up, transports are higher as FedEx boosts its quarterly dividend, reaches a deal with activist Josh Brown. You might recall recently bought it. We get his take next. We're back after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good day, everyone. I'm Tyler Matheson. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Authorities say the 31 members of the white supremacist group who were arrested in Idaho over the weekend are now out on bail. The dozens of men were charged with conspiracy to riot at an LGBTQ pride event before they were taken into custody. The members will make their initial court appearances over the coming weeks. Brittany Griner's WNBA team is meeting with State Department officials to discuss the All-Stars detention in Russia. The meeting involves officials from a specialized office that advocates for hostages and wrongly detained Americans. The Biden administration has previously said they are working to bring Griner home from Russia after she was detained at a Russian airport for possessing cannabis oil. Disney Pixar's upcoming Lightyear movie won't be shown in 14 Middle Eastern and Asian countries. Disney declined to make cuts to the animated film that depicts a same-sex couple that share a brief kiss, which prompted several countries to ban the film. Lightyear also faces an uncertain future in China, the world's largest movie market, though an official decision has not been made in China. Scott, back to All you. Right, Ty. Appreciate that. Tyler Matheson. FedEx is on pace for its best day since July 14th of 1993. The company boosted its quarterly dividend, dividend excuse me, by more than 50 percent. Also reached a deal today with activist investor D.E. Shaw. You may recall Josh Brown buying it just last week. What do you make of this? Nice timing you had. Oh, I thought we were going to do sound over tape and show, show me <laughs> the, the clip. All right. I'll just reenact it. <laughs> no, I bought this as a trade. It's not an investment. It could turn into one. But my plan right now is to stay with it. Um, got confirmation that, you know, uh, 195, 197-ish, there's still a lot of support down there. That's roughly the level the stock bounced off of on Friday, so I did not get stopped out. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to let this thing play out. I think, uh, I, I think what's interesting about FedEx is you still have the annual, invest, uh, the annual investor meeting, investor day restarting for the first time in a decade. That's later this month. You could have some other catalysts going forward. But if I roll my stops up, uh, and let's say, hypothetically, uh, we get to a point where this is challenging the real resistance, which is about 240-ish. If I can ride it to that level from a risk-reward standpoint, it will have been a successful trade. So we'll, we'll see what happens from here, but I am staying long. Okay. Uh, we want to take another break, come back. The crypto collapse, we need to talk about that. 
price, price plunges, the downgrades, layoffs. We're going to talk about that uh, coming up next. All right, we need to talk about crypto. Uh, Bitcoin falling below 21,000 earlier today. That's the lowest level since December of 2020. I'm looking at Coinbase right in front of me, Josh Brown, mm. down 1.3%. Uh, again, $51.35. Your view? Uh, this is one of those silver lining things. Of course, losing your source of income, losing your job is traumatic. But if it were to happen, this is probably the best environment from a labor force perspective that you could possibly ask for you will probably not have trouble finding something else probably more productive to do. Nothing is worse than being at a firm where you're working for, quote unquote, equity compensation and your stock options are so underwater that you have no chance of ever realizing that value. Understand, this is a stock that is down 80 percent from its high. So if you work there, you're probably buried on your options anyway. Um, So maybe it's the right thing for the company if they want to survive. Uh, the quote-unquote crypto winter. I don't know why these people are so dramatic. Why can't it just be a bear market? I don't know why crypto winter has returned. It's uh, whatever. You don't want to be there. Don't go, don't go to Robinhood either. Go do something completely different, like maybe build uh, hydroelectric dams in uh, developing Asia or something like that. Um, but if you are still there and you're there as an investor, you're going to have to understand something. There are parts of this ecosystem that are not ever coming back. It's not cyclical in the way that automaking is. We never had a recession with crypto assets, uh, you know, at the the level that they're at right now. We really don't know if there's any use for most of the activity. So they're going to have 5,000 employees in total. I don't know what 5,000 people are doing there. I'm just saying it could be a long time before we see from an investing standpoint a real reason to want to be in these names. So I'm watching. I just, none of, none of it is making me feel like now is the moment to jump back in. So, Bryn, we had a conversation yesterday in overtime uh, about this. And for those who didn't hear it, I, I want to get your view. Really, I mean, you can, I'd love for you to react to what, what Josh just said. You own Coinbase. Um, and you told me yesterday that you weren't selling any of it. I'm wondering if your view has evolved in 24 hours and if it has fine, if it hasn't fine too, but I'd love to hear from you again. Sure. Well, so I, I think that, well, yesterday, and I, I still think this is true, is that I still think you have some plumbing issues in the market. You, you can't put your money, your Bitcoin, if you want to stake it somewhere, and then one day you wake up and they're like, oh yeah, you can't withdraw your money. That just doesn't work. And so that has to clear itself. People need to have confidence in where they're, ha- where they're storing their money, they, their Bitcoin. They definitely have it at Coinbase. You know, Coinbase has $6 billion in cash, and they need to keep it. And that's what the note, you know, if you read the note from Brian Armstrong this morning, you know, they just spent all this money hiring these people. So a huge amount of the 5000 that Josh was cited were just hired. And so, you know, that's never great for a company to spend all this money hiring and then now you're just going to let them all go. But it's a necessity because they cannot be spending that six billion in cash on employees to Josh's points that aren't doing anything. And so I do think this is a bear market. The crypto market does not have the Federal Reserve to save them. And so the crypto market's going to have to save itself. And so as a position that's sized right, if you want to own this long term, 
which I do, but I do not want to add here when I still have questions about certain companies and the plumbing. That just has to be a fact that you feel confident. I agree, there. by so the I way. So I still say wait and see. I agree that if you're going to hold crypto, Coinbase is among the safer, I, I mean, my guess, who knows what happens tomorrow. But I agree that there is a lot of confidence in the crypto market in Coinbase. That's not the issue. They don't really get paid for people holding their crypto there. They need activity. They need uh, trading. They need new money to come into this market. They need people to be excited about projects because all of the VIG here is on bid-ask spreads and, uh, you know, brokerage activity. So if you're looking for that as like an investment play, look at CME. That's where the action is. CME is the company that actually is trading in assets that people want. Inflation-related assets, interest rate betting markets, commodity contracts. Like, if that's the kind of bet that you want to make right now, mm-hmm. make it in a, in a bull market. Commodities and, and inflation and interest rate bets is the bull market, not crypto. All right. Got to take another break. Uh, it has been one of the hottest trades of the year. One of our committee members is making a move. Plus, all June, we are celebrating Pride Month. Here is Rick Welts. He is Golden State Warriors' former president. I just think June, you know, for the LGBTQ community is just a time to reflect on uh, the journey that we've been on, uh, take stock of where we are right now, and, uh, and think about the future. So I'm proud of the people who are out there telling their stories in all walks of life to really help people understand that, that we're part of the fabric of this country. All right, energy stocks getting a little bit of a bounce today after turning in the worst day since early May. The sector's down nearly 9% in less than a week, and that is before today's rebound. Bryn, I see that you reduced some exposure uh, to what has been, I think, your favorite sector. That's a statement to me. Uh, Somebody who has loved this space, why'd you do it? Yeah, we we still love the space and have exposure, big exposure in the private markets, and we still have some exposure in the public markets. But when you have a when you have a you know XLE year to date is up 50 plus percent, while the S and P is negative 20 and negative 30 for the Qs. And so we wanted to do some you know portfolio management and just take some profits on uh, a security that's done wonderfully for us since we invested in it. Get some powder dry, because I do think there's going to be some other tremendous opportunities in other asset classes. So really, this was more about taking some profits, trimming some of our energy exposure. And also, you know, XLE's done so well, but the dividend on XLE is under 3%. So I still like some of the individual names like Devon or Viper Energy or Blackstone, um, BHP that have dividends of 8, 9, and more 10%. So it was pure profit-taking. And also, I will say that, you know, we were early to this trade mm-hmm. and it does feel like this is a very popular trade. And every day I feel like when I watch, you know, watch the show, everybody's bullish on energy. So another small reason we just felt to take a little profit um, in the public markets. I hear you. Yeah, you were early. I mean, it's in your backyard. So, I, you know, you deserve credit. You, you saw what you did. and <laughs> You got it early. Weiss, you know, I haven't heard much from you. Um, today. And I, I think that is a statement of the fact that you, you're just not doing that much these days in the markets. Um, and you, you've taken down your exposure so dramatically that in the conversations that we've been having, it just hasn't given opportunity to, to get to you. I apologize for that. But energy is, is not a space where you have a lot of exposure uh, either. Perhaps you wish you did relative to some other places where you've decided to remain on the sidelines or in cash. 
Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, the only thing I do own in the space is OVV, and uh, that, that's done well. Come down a little bit from the highs, but I haven't shaved that yet. Although, given what Bryn says and what I've been thinking, which is similar, uh, I'm thinking of doing that. Uh, I've been active. I mean, I sold the rest of my Apple position, sold the rest of Microsoft, and sold the remainder of, of Google. Uh, unfortunately, despite my very bearish view coming into the year, is that I still had losses. So it was a good opportunity to take the gains that I had in those stocks against some losses. Not all of them, but it, this is just a great opportunity to, to like wipe the slate clean in the market and decide where you want to go. So I want to have all that dry power powder so that I can then go into the market when I think the market has reached the bottom, which I don't believe we're close to. But it gives me that, you know, essentially it removes any bias I have to names in my portfolio and allows me to just even set and decide where I want to go when I think the market's going to turn. Oh, I, look, I, I get it. And I, I've said it before and I say it again. I'm, you've been on the right side of this from the very beginning. Uh, one of the earliest, I think, on this program to grow as negative as you did. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get Steve's final trade along with everybody else's after this. Here's a tip for your money, your future. Consider boosting your short-term savings with I-bonds. They can be a good hedge against inflation with strong returns. The rate on I-bonds rises and falls with the consumer price index. Right now, that rate is 9.62% for six months. You can purchase up to $10,000 in I-bonds each year directly from the government at treasurydirect.gov. Just remember, you can't cash them in for one year, and there's a penalty for selling within five years. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. Three hours from now, I hope you will join me in overtime. Adam Parker, Joe Terranova, we've got some others joining us too. Cannot wait for that. And then how about tomorrow? Jeffrey Gunlock, once again on Fed Decision Day. Can't wait for that. And I'll see you in three hours. Let's do final trades. Bryn, you go first. Yeah, uranium. I'm already in the trade. I'm going to put this other, the options on after the market is you buy uranium, you sell the October 70s, collect $6.50, so close to 10% income on the call for about five months. All right, thank you. Steve Weiss. Scott, I just can't change my act. I'm still staying in cash. Yeah, I know. I knew where that was going, I guess. Well, I had to ask you anyway. Yeah, yeah. All right, Steve. Predictable. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, as long as you're on the right side, on the right side of the market, predictable is okay. <laughs> Farmer Jim. Uh, Union Pacific, just going back to my thesis that you've got uh, supply chain onshoring, a lot of construction that's going to go on in the next few years. That's a lot of material that has to be transported in bulk, in aggregate. Railroads are the way to do it. Okay. And Josh Brown. My own transport. Uh, FedEx, I think this stock may have put in uh, a longer-term bottom. We'll see what happens. I'm staying long. All right. And by the way, did you see that positive note today from Jonas, Adam Jonas, on uh, Ford and Don't GM? Don't try to make friends with him now. I'm going to try. I am. That's we how we do it. The That's how we do it. <laughs> we all Scott saw the A block. We, we, we Seriously, though, we're running out of time. But what would you make of that note? I mean, very positive comments. It's basically his best EV play. <laughs> was to his General Motors and Ford. Just to sum it up, it was about cash flow. Yeah. GM and Ford need to start buying back shares. They've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet, cash flows. They need to buy back shares. Okay. Uh, both were up higher uh, earlier uh, today. I'll see you in a few hours in overtime. Thanks so very much for joining us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.